This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Hey, it's 12.03 on a chilly Tuesday afternoon, October 18th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Rob Hart. IKEA is teaming with a company in Texas for deliveries using self-driving trucks. We'll cover that in our next segment, but right now, the numbers on industrial production are out. While financial analysts, the analysis firm Fitch Ratings, sees a mild recession ahead. Let's get the perspective of Lance Roberts, Chief Investment Strategist with RIA Advisors in Houston. Lance, thanks for joining us today. Before we tackle the uh, the recession question, let's talk about the latest numbers uh, when it comes to home buildings uh, or the the home builders index. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's plunged since. For 10 straight months uh, going into October, um, obviously, you know, the, the challenges that uh, are facing home builders are self-evident. Uh, interest rates are higher. The uh, the market for new homes is seemingly ground to a halt. And with that uh, is home builders' desires to build new inventory because they don't know who's going to buy it. Well, that's right. And of course, you know, what happened was is in 2020, 2021, you know, we sent all these checks to households and we had a big spurt of home buying, particularly as, you know, young millennials and, and young Gen Z's, you know, they had capital to spend, they had their deposits and they went out and bought homes. So we, we pulled forward a lot of, of purchases and, and pulled forward consumption of homes during that period. So we're kind of getting this kind of double whammy. One is that, you know, we've kind of had the spurt of buying and that's playing catch up. And then, of course, interest rates moving north of 6%, that really prices a lot of people out of owning homes. And of course, uh, as interest rates go up, makes payments go up. And with inflation running as hot as it is right now, people are having trouble making ends meet just on a living basis, much less trying to save money for a down payment for a new house. Does this mean that the uh, housing market and home building will remain in a state of suspended animation until interest rates go down in a meaningful way? Um, what's going to happen is ultimately that we will get to a point where interest rates are going to come back down. And and, and a lo- there's two things that happen when interest rates go up. The first thing is, is that payments do go up, but there's also a psychological impact, right? So people were just used to seeing 3 and 4% mortgages. Now they're 7 and they're going, well, you know, I'm not desperate to buy a house today, so I'll just wait and see if rates come back down. So next year, once we get into 2023 and as we start talking about a recession, rates will come back down as inflation falls, and that will help give some life back to the housing market. And let's talk about uh, Fitch Ratings, their belief there will be a mild recession in uh, in, in the spring of next year, a an economic uh, slowdown of which uh, cushioning the blow will be consumer spending and the job market. 
I, I wouldn't count on that being just a mild recession. Um, you know, that's that's hopeful, and I'm I'm happy. You know that that we can you know talk about a mild recession. But the reality is that we've we've done a lot. And again, going back to that pulling forward of consumption in 2020, 2021. We pulled forward about five years worth of consumption. So consumers that were going to be buying stuff bought it early. We're seeing this in the PC market as, as a good example of this. Wages aren't keeping up with inflation, and households don't have a lot of savings. We're seeing credit card usage ramp up dramatically. The number of people taking out new credit cards just to make ends meet ramping up sharply. So the real risk in 2023, if inflation and interest rates do stay higher, is that we could see a, a more protracted slowdown economically. And yes, it may be deemed a mild recession, but the problem is that there's no real impetus on the other side of this unless we get back into doing quantitative easing by the Federal Reserve, sending checks to households again, doing some type of monetary support for households. Because, again, just the economic cycle has to go through and reverse all those excesses we built up over the last couple of years. Lance Roberts, chief investment strategist with RIA Advisors in Houston. Find him on Twitter at Lance Roberts. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Discussing the news affecting your money. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. IKEA is partnering with self-driving truck startup Kodiak Robotics to test deliveries in Texas. We welcome Andrew Bush, former Chief Markets Intelligence Officer at the Commodity Futures Trading Commission based in Chicago. Andy, thanks for joining us today. Uh, where can we see these self-driving IKEA trucks on the road in and around Houston? Are they going from the store to people's homes or is it from the warehouse to the store? No, it's from the warehouse to the store. And I think that's an interesting place to start because Truly, the last mile of getting the product to the consumer is the trickiest part of a AEV or autonomous electric vehicle. Let, let's say they're electric. Let's, let's go with that. But uh, whether it's an ICE engine or an EV engine, it's that last mile that's tricky. So this is a great starting point uh, for these autonomous uh, vehicles and to see if they can navigate maybe a 300-mile stretch between I don't know, Dallas and Fort Worth and things like that. Those roads are relatively flat, just as the roads in Arizona are relatively flat. And that's why those two states are leading the way when it comes to the testing of uh, autonomous vehicles. Interesting quote from the CEO of Kodiak Robotics, who says that the purpose of these trucks is not to put the truck driver out of business, but to make the truck driver's life easier. Uh, How does he square that particular circle? Yeah, because they have humans on board uh, with the autonomous vehicle. In other words, they're they're in the they're in the truck, right? And so, what's the worst part of truck driving? It's those long hauls between, you know, say Texas and Illinois, and that's where these trucks could uh, the the technology could really help out. Even if you had a driver in there, they could you know potentially sleep. Um, until they get to the last mile or inside of a city, then they can navigate that more treacherous you know, landscape as far as the road goes. So I think that's what he's referring to when he talks about making their lives easier. And in terms in the entire kind of sphere of logistics, whether it's IKEA or Amazon with their fleet of delivery drivers, other large companies involved in moving great deals of goods via road, uh, how much testing of self-driving vehicles is going on right now? 
Well, there's a lot. I mean, we don't know all of it. Um, we know some of it here in the United States, whether it was Waymo with Google or whether it's um, Too Simple in, in Arizona. Um, but also we know in China there's a lot of this being tested right now. Singapore as well. There's other countries that are looking at this. And I think this is the most interesting point to keep in mind. It's whatever state or country has the least barriers to testing will be the winner in this particular case. Texas obviously has regulations to make it easier. So does Arizona. Um, if, if those states develop the ecosystem surrounding all of the AEVs or a autonomous vehicles, they're going to get the, the, the lion's share of that ecosystem. And, and that's really going to be massive going forward. So there's a lot at risk here. So I think it's just fascinating to see it. Once you get an ecosystem going like Silicon Valley, it's very, very powerful and will keep that business in that state. Andrew Bush, former chief markets intelligence officer at the Commodity Futures Trading Commission and economist at andrewbush.com based in Chicago. Thanks for joining us. Coming up next, a drop in oil prices reflects concern about an economic slowdown. Information to make cash and save cash. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The price of oil is down in volatile trading today. Let's see what's driving down the market. We welcome in Phil Flynn, senior market analyst with the Price Group and Fox Business News contributor based in Chicago. Phil, thanks for joining us once again this afternoon. A couple of weeks ago, when we last spoke, uh, Saudi Arabia and OPEC Plus had announced a uh, massive cut uh, in production. They said it was 2 million barrels, but in reality, it's 800,000. But the expectation was that oil prices were going to take off like a rocket and with them the price of gasoline. Uh, but now WTI is uh, below $90 a barrel, and actually right now it's $83. So what's uh, driving down the price of oil these days? You know, I think it's the uh, response by the Biden administration that is suggesting the possibility that they are going to double down on releasing oil from the Global Strategic Petroleum Reserve. And on top of that, there's even rumors of a potential export ban of U.S. oil and gas. Obviously, if that happens, that's going to create a situation where here in the U.S., we're going to have more oil than we're going to know what to do with. Uh, but over in Europe, it could cause prices to, to soar. So this is part of what we're seeing here. Along with that, the market's very concerned that we're going to head into a recession, right? So part of the reason was, hey, OPEC may be cutting production, but it won't matter if the economy crashes and we get into a stock market crash, demand will be lousy. But this is very short-term thinking, and I'm afraid the market is overpricing in some of this weakness in demand, and we could be in for a rude awakening when winter really starts to settle in. It seems like some of the uh, fundamentals that were at work before the COVID pandemic shut everything down are starting to reemerge as far as the uh, price wars that were taking place between the United States and the shale oil revolution and uh, OPEC and OPEC+. Plus. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, there is definitely a competitive edge about what's going on in the marketplace. And the relationship from the U.S. oil and gas producer and OPEC and Russia, who's their favorite co-conspirator, has been one of the major issues driving global energy prices, you know, for the last 10 years. You know, and it was just a few years ago, of course, uh, where OPEC was scared silly because the U.S. energy producers were taking their market share. You know, they even wanted the U.S. producers to join OPEC to try to control prices. Um, 
you know, how things have changed. And now here in the U.S., when we're signaling to the world that, you know, we're pulling back from oil production, you know, even putting an export ban, it's really going to reduce U.S. oil producers' uh, desire to make oil because they won't be able to sell it. Uh, you know, this pullback from U.S. oil and gas is really emboldened OPEC. And, and that's why we're seeing, of course, that OPEC and Russia really moving to, you know, control the global oil market, you know, pretty much at the expense of the U.S. consumer and, and of course, the Biden administration as well. And then very quickly, if energy traders kind of figure out where uh, uh, commuting patterns are going to settle once uh, we've emerged fully from the pandemic and have figured out some sort of uh, post-COVID dynamic, because right now uh, you do have people commuting to the office. It's three days a week compared to five in the old days. How does that affect oil and gas consumption going forward? You know, what we've seen is that the impact isn't as as grave as we thought it might be, you know, when we talked about the COVID, right? When we look at the gasoline patterns, even though we're, we're below where we were dear, below COVID, we're, we're, we're basically getting back to where we were right before COVID. So we're not that far off, believe it or not. And so it seems that the... Um, what we may be missing out is the the regular demand growth for gasoline, but it seems that there's enough traveling that even though people aren't going to work as much, gasoline demand is getting pretty close to pre-COVID level. It makes you wonder what it would be if we all had to go back to the office. We probably would have a severe shortage and much higher prices than we do today. Bill Flynn, Senior Market Analyst with The Price Group. Thanks for joining us. As always, still ahead in Travel Tuesday, strategies to bring your pet along on your next Next trip. Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door. In as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. President Biden set to make a pledge involving abortion rights. This is Mike Krauser. I don't like waking up with Mickey Mouse in my bed dead. Low income renters demand that City Hall do something about their living conditions. It's Travel Tuesday. How a little planning can make bringing your pet on a trip a lot easier. We'll also find out what the best credit cards are for people who travel. WBBM Business, the markets are higher. The Dow is up 342 points. The NASDAQ is up 107. The S&P 500 is up 43. 42 degrees right now in Chicago, going up to 45. Could see some snow in northwest Indiana. Uh, wind chills, though, in the 20s and 30s. It's 1231. And our top story at the half hour, President Biden is set to make a promise as the midterm elections approach. The latest from correspondent Sagar Magani. Later today, an official says the president will pledge if Democrats hold congressional control next month, the first bill he will send Capitol Hill next year will be one that codifies Roe v. Wade's abortion protection. While the president's often spoken of the need to codify Roe since the Supreme Court ended the national right to abortion, this will be the first time he 
counties prioritized abortion legislation in this way before the midterms. Abortion rights are a key motivator for Democrats heading into the elections, though the economy and inflation are still the key concerns for most voters, and Republicans are widely projected to gain at least control of the House. Sagar Magani, Washington. Tenants at dozens of apartment buildings managed by East Lake Management and the Hispanic Housing Development Corporation are demanding that City Hall do something about their living conditions. That story from WBBM's Mike Krauser. What do we want? The tenants rallied outside City Hall, members of the East Lake Tenants Union and the Ella Flag Tenants Union, representing hundreds of low-income renters with a lot of complaints. I don't like waking up with Mickey Mouse in my bed dead. And that's what's going on in our apartment complex. The uh, fire exits a lot. People shooting, killing. See nothing but building code violations, serious uh, environmental health hazards, pests, mold, vermin. The only time you see the management is between the first and the fifth, and that's to pay your rent. The tenants are demanding something be done or the management companies be replaced. That's the story from City Hall. We've asked Eastlake Management and the Hispanic Housing Development Corporation for comment. The noon business hour continues at 1233. Presented by the Village of Bedford Park, stocks are trading higher today. We're joined by Vahan Janjigian, Chief Investment Officer at Greenwich Wealth Management, based in Greenwich, Connecticut. Vahan, thanks for joining us today. At 1020, you asked the question if the uh, rally appeared sustainable and uh, at least as far as it is, things are concerned, at 1233, uh, traders are, uh, seem able to keep it up. Yeah, you know, we did have some, uh, well, we opened up very strongly, then we did have some weakness as uh, interest rates started to move up. Um, but now the buyers are back and uh, they're supporting the market. But, you know, as I said earlier, you know, I, I have no idea what the market is going to do on any particular day or even, you know, uh, next week or next month or even a year from now. But, you know, I feel very confident that if you are a long-term investor um, and you're patient and you're willing to invest for the next five years or so, uh, you'll see markets higher. It also looks like the markets have been able to navigate the uh, last couple of days of real market movers as far, as far as information was concerned. You had PPI and CPI last week. The banks have all reported. And all of the banks, I mean, now that Goldman has checked in, uh, they seem to paint a fairly consistent picture of the economy and the American consumer and, uh, and, and the ability of uh, corporations to do mergers and acquisitions. Uh, what picture are they painting? Yeah, I think I think you're right about that. So first of all, um, I think uh, the picture they're painting is that uh, earnings are not going to be as bad as feared. Uh, there were a lot of people saying that um, the corporations were going to really disappoint this quarter, but so far we're seeing that earnings are are pretty good. Um, as far as the uh, CPI report goes last week, um, it was a very bad report. It was very disappointing. Yet the market reacted positively. Uh, after an, an initial sell-off. And, and I think that's because investors are coming to the conclusion that the CPI is really not measuring inflation correctly. Um, owner's equivalent rent, for example, is, is the biggest component of the CPI. And it's basically uh, based on guesses that homeowners are making on what they could rent their house for. It's not based on real data. The real data is showing that rents are actually coming down. So I think investors are concluding that inflation has already peaked 
and that the Fed may no longer have to be as aggressive as it's been. Everybody uh, that we talk to when you talk about volatility in the market this year and in the months to come, uh, they always say the word time horizon. We're not talking about today, as you mentioned, we're talking about five years from now. How far down the road are investors looking today? Are they looking at October 18th or are they looking at February 18th of 2023 when they analyze where this thing is going? Well, I think the immediate thing they're waiting for is the next Fed meeting, which is on uh, November 2nd. And uh, that's when we'll find out how much the Fed will raise rates by. I'm sure they will raise rates. But, you know, if it's less than 75 basis points, then then I think that would give investors um, um, a lot more confidence um, and a bigger boost. But, you know, I would advise people, you know, do not put your money in the stock market today um, if you think you're going to be making money over the next couple of months. You might, but you're taking a big risk by doing that. However, if you're investing uh, for the next five years or even longer, then I'd say don't hesitate. If you look back in history, um, if you assume that somebody put money in the stock market just before uh, the crash in 1929 or uh, Black Monday um, or, you know, the financial crisis or, you know, take your pick, um, if they had sat it out and, and waited and, and were patient, they would have done very well. Now, we have a year right now where, this, where the S&P is down over 20 percent. Um, I think this is a good time to invest if you're a long-term investor. You know, why not invest now? Vahan Jenjigian, Chief Investment Officer at Greenwich Wealth Management, based in Greenwich, Connecticut. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up next in Travel Tuesday, what you need to do to safely bring a pet on a trip. Compounding your interest with an economy of words, this is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Travel Tuesday, and this afternoon the focus is on traveling with pets. We welcome in Angie Rice, co-founder of Boutique Travel Advisors based in Scottsdale, the website Travel bta.com. Angie, thanks for joining us today. If you're used to just getting up and going and not really doing a whole lot of foreplanning uh, before you take a road trip or an airplane trip, uh, if you're doing so with a pet, uh, you're going to have to uh, look ahead even further. Is that correct? Of course. And what are, I I mean, are there, are there differences? I mean, we could talk about uh, uh, traveling with a pet by car first, but what are some of the rules of the road, kind of a poor metaphor, uh, if you are flying with a pet, either a dog or a cat? Right. I mean, first you want to discuss your plans with your veterinarian, just to confirm that your dog or cat or other pet is equipped for the air travel. And then you also want to make sure that you understand the requirements not just of the airline, but also where you're traveling. A lot of countries and different destinations require that they're micro-tripped or that they've had shots and that their rabies are up to date. So you want to make sure that you know the rules and regulations of the airlines and also the destination where your pet will be traveling. And then if you're taking a pet on an airplane, is there a point at which, given the pet's size, you're just better off driving somewhere? Absolutely. I think you really need to know the temperament of your pet, certainly the size, whether they will acclimate to a carrier or even fit in a carrier. And there are so many places in our own country that are really dog friendly, pet friendly, and you really want to evaluate hotels that accommodate pets. And you also have to be very careful to know that even if it's a pet-friendly resort, whether or not you're booking a pet-friendly room. So make sure at time of booking that it is a pet-friendly room because not all of the rooms will be equipped for pets. 
And you also want to determine how you're going to spend your time on your vacation so that there's things for your pets to do. Are there beaches that are pet friendly if you're going on a beach vacation, dog parks nearby? And the other thing to really consider when you're in and out of the car is, for example, if you have a long stretch of freeway, you better make sure that you've equipped yourself with water and allowed your pet to get some fresh air and walk before that long stretch of freeway. So when you're traveling, make sure you accommodate the pet along the road because it can be stressful for a pet to be in a car for a long duration of time. I'm sure you've been doing this long enough that you have plenty of stories, but uh, are, are there some breeds of dog that are just an absolute no-go as far as flying is concerned? I'm, I'm guessing uh, the airlines would frown upon someone bringing their Newfoundland or a Great Dane on a flight. Right. I mean, size is probably the biggest issue and then just the temperament of the dog. And certainly we know some breeds of dogs are friendlier with people as opposed to other breeds and just following pet etiquette as well. So if you're taking your dog on a road trip and you're going hiking, make sure it's a pet friendly hiking because there's other people that are on vacation as well trying to enjoy their trip and they might not be as comfortable around pets. So knowing your environment and First, first and foremost, when you're at the airport, being conscientious of the other people traveling. Airports are crowded. So even though your pet might be allowed, be conscientious of people who might not be as comfortable around pets and trying to minimize the amount, the amount of time that they spend at the airport. So try to look for direct flights or flights with shorter layovers if possible. And I'm not one to make uh, someone's vacation more complicated than it needs to be, but if you are driving a long distance uh, with a pet in tow, uh, does it make more sense to rent a larger vehicle like a van or an RV? Absolutely. I would definitely take that into consideration because you want your pet to be in a situation where they're comfortable and they don't feel overconfined. And the other thing to really think about is maybe there's trips where it makes sense to bring a, a pet. And other times, maybe it's an opportunity for your pet to go on vacation, either at a pet resort in your neighboring area, or maybe it's an opportunity for somebody who enjoys pet sitting. Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a paid service where you actually do leave your pet behind. Angie Rice, co-founder of Boutique Travel Advisors based in Scottsdale, the website TravelBTA.com. Join us at this time tomorrow for Personal Finance Wednesday and still to come, the best credit cards for travel. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. There are many choices when it comes to credit cards with travel rewards. Let's discover some of the best with the help of Ted Rossman, industry analyst with CreditCards.com based in New York. Ted, thanks for joining us today. It sounds like before you embark on uh, your journey to find the right travel credit card for you, it seems like you need to figure out what you value the most out of a travel credit card. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a really important point. And I think a good starting point would be, are you really loyal to a specific airline or hotel chain? If so, you may get the best perks by getting their co-branded card, because that may provide you with an accelerated path to elite status, and maybe some other perks like priority boarding, free check bags, hotel upgrades. But if you're somebody who travels only occasionally and you play the field and you pretty much take whichever airline is cheaper, well, then one of those transferable travel cards is best. Something like the Chase Sapphire Reserve or Chase Sapphire Preferred for example, they have a lot of different airline and hotel partners. Now, the Chase Sapphire line of cards, whether it's reserve or preferred, uh, was that designed with the traveler in mind? 
Very much so. Yeah, those are both really popular. They have great transfer partners, everybody from United to Marriott, Hyatt, a number of international airlines. So a lot of good benefits there. But something I like about both of these cards is that you can also book travel basically anywhere and get a fixed valuation that's quite lucrative. So you get at least one and a half cents per point on the Sapphire Reserve. You get at least one and a quarter cents per point on the Sapphire Preferred. You can really keep your options open. The Sapphire Reserve includes airport lounge access and a global entry or TSA pre-check waiver. There's a lot to like for travelers. And it doesn't necessarily have to be for uh, rewards during the process of traveling, whether it's airline reservations, lounge access, as you mentioned, uh, hotel perks once you get to your destination. There are some cards that actually give you cash back on things like dining out while you're traveling. Yup, and that's what's key about your credit card strategy is that it really should fit your lifestyle. So think about the categories in which you spend a lot of money and look to earn cash back or travel rewards on those everyday purchases. Another good example in the no-fee space is the Wells Fargo autograph card. That one gives 3% cash back at restaurants and also on travel, including airlines and hotels, but also local travel like public transit and gas. Streaming is included, cell phone plans. I think that's another good example for somebody who maybe doesn't travel all that often, but may have a trip or two every year, but can also earn a lot of points with everyday commuting and dining and other activities. Ted Rossman, industry analyst with CreditCards.com based in New York. Thanks for joining us today. If you missed any part of today's show, you can go to our stream and just skip back to the time you want. There's a pause and rewind function that works both online and with the Odyssey app. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. 